What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 139 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Uh, it's a fine Sunday evening. World Series Game 5 is taking place right now, and uh, I'm recording in my closet, as I always do, um, for sound quality. So if something happens, other than the two home runs that we've already seen, you guys will know about it before I do. But uh, anyway, with, with that as the backdrop, Eric Cole is here, and we're going to talk about some Braves baseball. So uh, what's up, Eric? What's going on, man? I'm pretty excited. Kind of going to get into the thick of the offseason, so I'm kind of excited to kind of be talking about some different sort of stuff other than just kind of the grind of the season. Yeah, uh, I think we got good, you know, you and me, you and Scott, me and Scott, all of us got good at talking about like more hypothetical stuff a couple years ago, um, Carlos too, all those, pe- all those people, but now that we just did a whole season where games mattered from start to finish, um, getting back into a sort of things when there's really not any news, there's one news-ish item that we're going to hit on, and that's the Gold Glove finalists, which is probably going to inspire a rant from one or both of us. But aside from that, there's like nothing else that's actually happening. I mean, it's the World Series. It's kind of a dead time because the Braves um, did not change managers. That's not really the only only news that actually happened this week was that there were like four managerial hires, and that's kind of it. There's no player movement yet, so we're just kind of in this holding pattern, and that's a good time to kind of sort of uh, take a step back, um, you know, collect stock of where we are right now. We're going to do a little bit of a bullpen review. I plan in the next couple of weeks to talk about all the guys who mattered from the 2018 Braves sort of in, in retrospect with, you know, with a couple of weeks to kind of let, let the season breathe, breathe a little bit. We're going to start with the bullpen in this on this podcast and from there some free agency stuff, some mailbag stuff, and that just sort of sets the table on what we're going to do on the pod today. But, you know, first things first, uh, let's talk about the one news item, and that's the Google Left finalists. The Braves had five guys, which was not a yep. big surprise named as um, Gold Glove finalists. Uh, it's just the five that were named that were a little bit interesting. Before we talk about the, the, the specifics, um, the Gold Gloves are bad, Eric. And I think people don't really realize this, but this is not new. The Gold Gloves are often bad at this, and I think this is just another reminder of that, honestly. Yeah, it's tough for me because I get what they're – I get their purpose is to, to recognize people at each position. The problem is, is, you know, like defensive value is just not created equal. Like when you have like – you know, whether they have left field or you have first base, you have, like, there are going to be very excellent defenders who do not get the recognition that they deserve. And then you have guys who are not particularly good get recognition because they happen to be either in a week, like, at a position where they're, they're generally not, you're not supposed to be particularly good defensively or that there's just not a lot of players who are good defensively there. And I generally like, you know, like generally the field, like the fielding Bible type boards and, you know, looking at those defensive leaderboards, it's overall defensive value is what I value more than, you know, whether or not a guy makes a gold glove, you know, as a gold glove finalist or even wins a gold glove. I know that historically people have put a lot of stock into it. And, you know, it's like, well, he's won three gold gloves at his position. That means he must be a good defender. When we when we look back, it turns out that's just not the case. Um, it's just not true that just because a guy makes one error in a season does not make him a good defender. It makes it means that of the balls that he was supposed to catch, he only missed one of them, and that is certainly a skill and certainly something that is good, but that doesn't necessarily make them good defenders. And it's it's kind of unfortunate because the Braves actually probably had reasonable cases for three more nominations, there, but those positions truly had like some a lot of competition, and one in particular I'm actually not sure if I'm okay with, uh, but. You know, it's kind of hard to complain with, you know, five Golden Glove nominees. So it's, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of the whole Gold Glove stuff and putting a lot of stock into it. But it's kind of fun to talk about why these guys were good defensively or maybe in one or two cases why that they probably shouldn't have, uh, they probably shouldn't pass that test in terms of getting a lot of praise for just because they got a nomination. Yeah, and I, I understand, like like you said, the theory behind it, and um, you know, Gold Gloves are by far the most famous defensive award for players, so especially fans would take would take stock in that, and that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I will say there are better places. You know, you mentioned Fielding Bible; those awards are much more accurate in the year 2018, um, and that's kind of just the way things go. Gold Gloves are a lot of times based on um, you know perception and resume versus actual production for one thing and uh, guys especially if you would if you win a position um you kind of stick around for a long long time even if you don't deserve to stick around for a long long time and that goes for that goes for players that are actually still good and then players that aren't actually so good um pitchers are always funny too like one of the nominees for the braves is tulio tehran um it's pretty amusing to think about the fact that a pitcher defensive award exists because there's really not much they have to do defensively um that's just kind of a funny one but 
Um, let's talk about the ones that did happen, and that is, I mentioned just before, Julio Tehran at pitcher, um, Freddie Freeman at first base, um, Adam Duvall in left field, which is pretty amusing because he didn't play much for the second half of the season, but was awesome in the first half, at least according to the advanced numbers, etc. Um, Ender in Ciarte in center field, which was a no-brainer. He was always going to get nominated. And then Nick Markakis in right field, which was the one that was the most controversial, I would say. Um, and then you mentioned the three guys, um, I believe the guys you're talking about are uh, Ozzie Albies, Dansby Swanson, and Johan Camargo um, yep. defensively. Um. I will say uh, the only one that I find to be uh, questionable that was nominated is Marcakis. Um, my feelings are kind of well documented here, but there is no statistical case for him to be in the top three right fielder. Um, you know, all this I, I tweeted out I tweeted out all, all the numbers when it happened. That's not to say that he was like bad bad defensively. Like he's not. Um, he he makes fundamental plays. He does the stuff that you what you want guys to do, but he doesn't. Um, doesn't need to be nominated. That's kind of the best way I put that without being too mean about it. The lack of range, the lack of arm, all that stuff. He's not an elite defensive right fielder by any stretch. Uh, even if you think he's um, better than I do, I don't think you could convince yourself that he's a top three right fielder in the National League defensively, and that's kind of what should be the baseline. Um, but, you know, there are other other, is, uh, other issues too. Um, like, for instance, first base defense is always tricky. You know, Freddie, it's kind of been divisive for his defense at times. I think he's not—he's never been considered bad by any means. But there are people that think he's awesome. People think think he's just okay. Um, that one didn't surprise me though. But what, you know, I guess we'll start with, with Marcakis. What did you think about that nomination when it came across? I was actually kind of joking about it before it happened, like like it like <laughs> offline with a couple of people, and then it happened, and I just was like in, in hysterical laughter at my desk, honestly. I wasn't actually that outraged by it, simply because first of all, I think that. There's no chance that he wins it, right? He, I mean, <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, like, let, me, let me just clarify. I was not outraged. I was more like surprise and laughter. Like, again, it's not like he's bad. Like, there are people that have been like actually really, really bad defensively that have been nominated for Gold Gloves in the past. Um, Marquez is not really, really bad. But uh, you know, outrage is the wrong word. I, I would say, if I cared more about Gold Gloves. Um, if I thought it was more of a good process, I would have been more mad about it. But because it's kind of a sham in general, I wasn't as mad. Um, but yeah, continue. Sorry. Well, I'm going to pose a question to you that you can kind of fiddle around and search around with. Uh, in that, who do you think the third nominee should be if it wasn't Mark Akis? Because we'll revisit this while I'm kind of just chatting. Yeah, um, I had this up at one point, but I'm gonna now I'm gonna find it. Cause I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find it again because I. Uh, when I was looking at it, and I was kind of thinking, okay, well. I was trying to put. I was trying to predict in my head who could be the nominees, and honestly, there's cases really kind of all over the field. I had forgotten about Julio Tehran, um, but he and he's very deserving of the award, and we can talk about him in a second. Yeah. But Mark Higgins's defensive year, honestly, really was pretty was pretty good. It wasn't again not great. No, it was fine. Um, he, yeah, he, he, he got a lot. He got a lot. He got a lot of help from like better positioning. Uh, he's not a guy with range, and he certainly doesn't have that much of an arm. But you know, made some decent catches and was put in a better position for given the tools that he has. And again, I don't think there's much of a chance that he wins the award simply because John Jay and Jason Hayward had legitimately really good seasons in right field. And if they gave the award to Marquez, it would feel kind of like a lifetime achievement award, which I don't would like very much at all. Yes. Um, but he had he had a pretty good year. I, I saw cases for like that third spot. I saw a case for Marcakis, and I saw a case for maybe one or two other guys who are the names are escaping me right now. But it it wasn't it didn't feel like such a big deal that he got the got the award, especially since like defensively, considering the last few years where he was like legitimately not good. Um, he and and he got he got the nomination last year, and you and I joked about it last year that we thought that Marcakis might actually get the nomination, and then he did. Yep. <laughs> um, and his, his year defensively was better this year and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, and I, if you, and if you have a, a name that I would, you would prefer, I mean, I, there are people who are right fielders right now that I would prefer to have in right field defensively than Nick Markakis. But in terms of like the, the, the defensive output this year, I didn't necessarily have it. I didn't really have any issues. Yeah. If you were trying to make the pro argument for Markakis, it would center on the fact that he played more innings than anybody in right field. Um, he played all 162 famously. He was very dur- it was very durable. There is value in that. Um, you know, you mentioned Jay and Hayward. I think Hayward should win it based on everything. Um, yeah. But Jay's very good as well. Um, there are other guys who were um, very very good in right field. Like for instance, you know, Harrison Bader was great in right field, but he didn't play there all the time. Um, and 
this is where it gets weird for me, right? Yeah, Yasiel Puig, too, it, same it, thing. Like, he has good numbers in some places, but it's you know, bad numbers in some places. Like, the argument is, and I think this is kind of what you what you were sort of leaning into, is that a lot of guys just don't play there every single day, and Marquecas exactly. did play there literally every single day for, you know, six months. I mean, Ozzy Albies got bitten by that because, I mean, Javier Baez, I mean, he's played, he plays everywhere. Um, right. But it just so happened that, you know, he got enough innings where, you know, that was one gold glove spot. And, and, and Baez's bit was great. You know, I have no issues with him being nominated. Second base, just as a result, because of that kind of utility sort of everyone kind of moves around with a lot of those forward thinking front offices and that roster management, it becomes a lot harder for the guys who are like, you know, are stuck in second base because there are really good players who can play three different positions in the infield or play all three positions in the outfield. Who do you nominate where and what's the most fair? And I, I don't have an answer to that, which is why the the position by position thing becomes problematic for me because I get what they're trying to do, but that's not how it works. No, I'm especially in the outfield. I mean, it's a spot where like there is real value in guys who can play multiple positions. But how do you rank them? How do you vote on those guys? Like for instance, if you're going by the numbers, like Brian Anderson from the Marlins has better numbers than Marquez across the board. But a, no one knows who that is. Which matters. I mean, for the voting purposes, like he's a better defender than, than Marcakis at everything that you would look at, but he's very anonymous. Um, like Christian Yelich, for instance, has much better numbers than Marcakis in right field, but he only played there for like half the time. And you know, how he do got you the weigh nomination that? Left field. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like he gets the nomination there. Like there are other guys who are clearly better than Marcakis on like a, on like a per play basis, but they don't play there every day. So that goes to your point. Like, I mean. It goes back to the gold glove thing originally. Like some of this stuff doesn't make any sense to anybody. But if you go by, if you just say, all right, we're only taking guys who play full time right field, maybe you get to Marcakis like fourth, fifth, sixth on that list. I think I think Brian Anderson is the one guy who has like an obvious good case against Marcakis in right field, but again, no one knows who that is. You have to be a diehard, and because of the people that vote for this, like, you know, managers vote managers vote on this award. Um, it's not a situation where, you know, oftentimes the joke is that you have to hit to win a gold glove. Um, part of that is true, and also part of it is that you have to be a little bit more recognizable. And if, you, if you're going around Major League Baseball and saying, all right, who's a good right field defense guy in the National League, Brian Anderson's not going to come up because don't, people, don't, people don't really talk about Brian Anderson. Um, so he's the only one that's like obviously better than Mark Higgins in the numbers, aside from Hayward and Jay. But it goes to your point that, you know, it's not. There isn't an obvious guy, even if we can all probably agree that he's not a top three defensive right fielder in the National League. And I guess that's where my general thought process is: is just that I didn't. I thought he was close enough where it didn't feel egregious to me. Whereas in previous years, I'd be like, "What are What are you guys doing? You know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's there, there, there's there's better candidates." Uh, I was happy that Julio got a got an odd. I didn't actually think about pitchers in terms of Gold Gloves for whatever reason when I was kind of just thinking about it before the announcement. But but I mean Julio has seven defensive run saves as a pitcher, which is pretty impressive considering yeah, man, that's like almost impossible, honestly. Like it's like how do you even do that, honestly, over the course of a full season? Well, he, I mean he's really good at picking off guys, which helps. That and, helps, yeah. And uh, he's you know and he and he feels his position well, so no no shame there. Uh, I I tend to be in the I think Freddie is a better defender at first than he's given credit for, but I know that it's hard to measure things like you know. You know, stretches at first and things like that. The yeah, he, gets, he always gets sapped by um, his lack of range and like the advanced numbers. And I do think he's better than some of those numbers make him look. Um, for instance, like Fangraphs grades him negatively, but they also gra- they also grade every single first baseman in the National League with qualified innings negatively because it's first right. base. Um, and so, and yeah. I think he was better. I, mean, I think the defensive positioning this year for the Braves was significantly better, and I think he got put in some better spots. He um, was also, I believe, I'm looking at it now, I think he was top, he might have been second, in, and yeah, he was second in defensive run saved at first base behind only Brandon Belt. So like, and by the way, going back to the same thing, same thing as Marquecas, Freddie led the National League in innings for first yep. baseman. Um, that matters. It just does. It does. And now, I mean, that the competition at first base is pretty tough. I think Freddie should win it. Um, for, I don't think Freddie's going to be kind of like the perennial guy that wins gold gloves at first base. But I think he'll like get. I think he should get more consideration than he does. But Joey Votto, Rizzo, and Goldschmidt, for that matter, are all like for first baseman. They're really good at their jobs. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I'm happy that he got the nod, and that I, and I think that for this year he should win. 
Um, not, again, not not to say in the case that he's just he's been robbed before. More that you know, I, I think that he's good enough defensively to be kind of be in this conversation more. Uh, the Adam Duvall thing was pretty hilarious to me. And again, it gets back to that you know how much how much they're playing. I mean, after the dead trade deadline, I think Duvall played like three games in left field or in the outfield, and <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's and it's like now he's getting the Gold Glove, and he was legitimately very good. According to the, the metrics, uh, when he was in Cincinnati, but no, he literally he's still the he's still the, the left field leader in, in defensive runs saved. Yeah, without, it was like seventeen, right? Something crazy. Yeah, yeah, seventeen. And Corey Dickerson has sixteen, and nobody else has, nobody, else, nobody else has more than eight. So that that is why he got nominated because his numbers are incredible defensively. But he also played, I think it was about exactly half the innings of Marcakis as a reference point. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like one of those things yeah. where how do you equate that? I'm not really sure. Um, center field actually is, is more. Uh, clear cut for me those are all three center fielders they're all very good center fielders uh, i don't think and ender won it last year and he's obviously a very good center fielder and his n- defensive numbers like the numbers last year kind of went down which was weird to me because it just that didn't really pass the eye test for me like he yeah. still looked very good out there um but this year the, the numbers bounced back up but lorenzo kane was legitimately great out there um and i think that kane might actually get the nod this year which Brave fans shouldn't be upset about. Um, and by the and, way, uh, it shouldn't matter, but Lorenzo can also hit like crazy, and that often matters in gold glove voting, which is funny, but it does. Um, <laughs> well, well I, I'll I, say even if you just take away the, like batting lines between those two. Oh, sure. I, I, no, I it wouldn't be bad either was, way. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't have any issues there, and you know, Kane played really well out there. So you know, I think the Braves have legitimately a chance at two, maybe three gold gloves, if especially if Adam Duvall gets a lot of love, but. Uh, with Christian Yelich sitting there in the left field nominees, that's going to be tough. Because, <laughs> uh, again, there's – I mean, we saw Andrew Simmons get absolutely robbed of a gold glove by Brendan Crawford. Brendan Crawford. Because yeah. Brendan Crawford hit 20-plus home runs that year. That was pretty much the reason. And, I mean, that's probably enough on the guys who get who did get nominated. We'll talk a little bit more when they actually – when the awards come out, I'm sure. The three guys um, that we talked about that got snubbed, um, Albies Camar- Camargo and Swanson – I will say my biggest beef is Camargo. Um, because of the position, there was not an obvious third, and he absolutely should be nominated. There's no argument against it statistically. Um, Camargo, I'm not sure he's like uber elite defensively at third base, but if you look around at all the numbers, there were two very obvious nominations and that he should have been the third, and that made no sense as to why he wasn't the third nomination. Um, at least with Swanson, I made this point on Twitter as well. Swanson, we all know, is very, very good, but there were three very good defensive shortstops nominated. Um, so it wasn't quite as egregious there. Albies, I think, is really, really, really good at second base. I'm surprised he wasn't nominated either. But Camargo was the one that like jumped out to me as like, why wasn't he there? I don't really understand why, to be honest. Uh, I I agree. And with like you know a guy like Travis Shaw again, and there's there's some guys who moved around a little bit. I mean, I have no problems with Arenado. I mean that, that he's no, he's he's a lock. Obviously, he's yeah. Gonna be there. I mean, he, he's going to win it. <laughs> so and, yes. and that's fine, but. I mean, if you look at, like, Rendon's numbers, like, some of them look pretty good. Some of them actually look pretty poor. Um, I mean, he had six – he had negative six defensive runs saved at third base, and he is one of the three nominees over Camargo. And that's hard for me to understand. Yeah, um, I don't get that one. I mean, and the same thing happened to Albies. Now that I'm looking at it even closer, there were two very, very clear-cut guys at second base, Colton Wong and DJ, DJ LeMahieu, and yep. then Albies is, like, very clearly third, like, in every – Every category from defensive defensive run save to ultimate zone rating and all those numbers, he's you know that's, obviously the but, third best guy. And it's like, why isn't he there? I don't I don't get it. It's because Javier Baez plays all around the field. And they have to nominate him somewhere. I mean, I and guess he, it's just it's so frustrating. To I, me. I know. I look. I understand <laughs> what the frustration is. Truly, I do. Um, third base was weird because if you look at defensive run saves, somehow Evan Longoria had seven defensive run saves to tie of Camargo for that, uh, which which was bizarre for me, but. This is why you have to use more than time one thing. The same by the places, way. I, it's hard. I I get it, um, and I don't necessarily agree with it. But I do think, by the way, Fargo, we, I think is the one that is the one that stands out to me the most too. Yeah, I think before we keep going, it's important. Like I know a lot of, especially old school people that really do not like the defensive metrics. My and I get I get that to a certain extent. Uh, I think defense is still underrated um, in general, but. My thing would always be to um, take all the numbers into account. Like you, I've seen people like really relying on one of the metrics and kind of using that as their like baseline. Uh, that is dangerous because you see some weirdness there sometimes. Um, 
But yep. if you use all of them, if you use DRS and if you use ultimate zone rating and you know overall defensive numbers and defensive war, and you kind of like bundle that up into one package, it can be very, very useful. But using one of the numbers out of context is not probably the best way to do it. So just follow and, that away for the future. <laughs> and I will say that defensive metrics have gotten significantly weirder with the shift and with yes, you know hard. with positioning and things like. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But anyone who watches Camargo play versus other defensive third baseman play, and you can't put him in the top three in the National League. Again, Arenado, I've, I, like Camargo beat Arenado out in some defensive metrics, but I still would have zero problems putting Arenado as the gold glove at third base because of just like there's a lot of things that he does well that don't necessarily show up. Yeah. Um, but it's it's one of those things where I just I feel like if you're looking at the defensive metrics or you're not. I don't understand that the, the, some of the names that they came up with and what the criterion was for, like, well, we're going to make this guy a second baseman. We're, I mean, like, Travis Shaw was legitimately good when he was at third base, but he was another guy that moved around. And I'm just like, how is that fair to the guys who were, the, who were there the whole time? But at the <laughs> same time, not. but how can you be fair to the guys who are utility guys, too? Just because they're good at three different positions doesn't mean they should be shut out of Gold Glove Awards either. And I don't have an answer to that, which is why. There, is, there isn't one. I mean, and that's the best. The best but the best way to approach it is just saying that there isn't a good answer. Like, unless you just make it outfield and infield um, yeah. and try to pick three outfielders and five infielders, that that would probably be the way to do it. But then you would never take a first baseman, probably, ever. <laughs> and then you have a bunch – you might have you might have five shortstops and three, three center fielders. You know, that kind of weirdness might happen too. So, like, there really isn't an ideal way to do this. But the way they do it, they could do better. That's probably how I would believe it. I don't know. I agree, but if you do want to see some fun, if you want to look at the, the defensive leaderboards by the National League by position, you're going to see a whole lot of Phillies at the bottom of those. <laughs> oh, they... man, the Phillies were – it was performance on how bad they were defensively this year, like, and almost on purpose. You know, the Brewers kind of, like, leaned in a little bit when they at, at the deadline when they were playing guys out of position and kind of just doing this weird stuff. The Phillies, like, for 162, were just like, let's see how bad we can put out defensive lineups here and just not care at all about defense while everybody else in the league they cares have... a lot about it. It's just, it seems it like insane. they have five first basemen playing defense for them right now. I mean, it was really like it's like they were trying to be as bad as possible defensively, and and I know that was part of it is that the roster was built weirdly to where like they had you know five of their best seven eight hitters were bad defenders, but still, man, like you got to think about it a little bit. Like you're, you're just gonna kill your pitching staff. It's just it was it was it was really performance. <laughs> it was, it was performance art. That's exactly what did. happened. Exactly. I mean, you can't have. It's like if you put Evan Gaddis in the outfield and at third base and in the right field, and you know, like you have all these guys who can't believe it's and all, they're all playing together. Yeah, it's yeah, it was a mess. Um, it was but, a mess, and I love the Phillies for it because um, they're yeah. Uh, thanks, Phillies. Appreciate you. Yeah, shouts to the Phillies. All right, let's move on from the Gold Glove stuff. Um, do a little bit of bullpen review. Um, you know, bullpen's kind of tough in that. The guys who you know, you kind of know who the guys are, and you know, the numbers are easily. Um, they they change a lot. There's there's a lot of variance because you know one bad outing can really change your numbers, et cetera, et cetera. But you know by the end of the year we kind of knew who the guys were. You know AJ Minter led the led the team in reliever WAR. Um, no big surprise. He was the closer for much of the season. Uh, Dan Winkler was very good early and not so good late. Uh, Shane Carl had a nice season. Brad Brock was very good after he arrived um, in a small sample size. You know et cetera, et cetera. You know obviously you have Viscaino. Um, in general. I think people would be surprised how decent the Braves' um, overall bullpen numbers were because I think throughout the season, maybe you'll maybe you can correct me on this. It felt to me like the uh, like the uh, fan base really really hated this bullpen throughout the season. Like I think that's probably the biggest thing that I saw all year long was just like people yelling about the bullpen, which I understand why because it's always more magnified when you blow a game. Um, and part of that's the way that the bullpen was handled. Some of that was the yelling as well. But, like, it's really, if you look at the numbers at the end of the year, take all the noise out, the bullpen wasn't good, but it also wasn't a disaster either. Like, they finished 10th in ERA in, in the National League. That's not good by any means, but it isn't like they were comically bad either. So, like, like for instance, Colorado made the playoffs. Colorado was 13th and it was more than a half run worse than the Braves. Like, so I think the perception versus the reality thing is swift here, especially when you look at all the better guys. I think the disastrous part of the bullpen was the guys who shouldn't have been there in the first place, probably. But I mean, what's your overall feel on the bullpen and how you thought it was, you know, covered, discussed versus the actual output of what they did this year? I think that how much, whether you kind of realize it or not, in terms of this particular statistic, how much you liked 
the bullpen determines is determined by how much you feel about what you feel about FIP. <laughs> because That's true. they put yeah. they put a lot of guys on base and for a good chunk of the season they were really good at stranding those runners that they put on but they were walking guys and they were giving up hits and when you're doing that you're kind of playing with fire and i think that if you even if you're not you're not even looking at fip as a statistic right you're just not, you're not looking at it at all and you're watching a game and every bullpen inning feels like it's a disaster waiting to happen and like it's stressful it's just like god we have two runners on and one out like come on like can you stop you know, can you give us just a clean inning so we can, like, you know, I can feel like we, we have some momentum going into the next inning. However you choose to think about it or look at the numbers or look at what the, the, the bullpen does, that is how – that that's where I feel like a lot of that feeling com- comes from. It's just that whether or not those, those free base runners, those extra base runners just making games much more stressful than they need to be. When you're in a 3-2 game and you have two relievers go throw one, two, three, one, two, three innings back-to-back, you feel good about that game. In the same game, if your reliever gives up no runs whatsoever, but it puts two guys on in back-to-back innings, you feel like you're about to lose this game at any given moment. It's definitely uh, it's definitely stressful. And by, by the way, I have a couple of numbers for you to, to, to kind of illustrate your point. First of all, the Braves bullpen, these are National League-only stats, the Braves bullpen had the second-most walks in the National League at 273. And they did that, in a, and they were second only to the um, the Miami Marlins. And the Marlins bullpen threw 50, 50 more innings. So the Braves, on, on a per-inning basis, had, had the highest walk rate of any bullpen in the league, in the National League. Also, they finished uh, 13th in the National League in, strike, in strike, strikeout-to-walk rate. Only 2-1 to one strikeout-to-walk rate, which is really, really bad. Um, so that will tell you, that, that, that's not telling the whole story, but the walks were too, there were too many walks. That was the biggest thing. Even if you look individually, you had, you know, one, two, three, four, five guys that were f- full-time members of the bullpen that walked more than 4.3 guys per nine innings. And you just, you can't live like you, that. Um, you know what, you're going to have guys like that bullpen who are just like, you know, they have great stuff, but there's no, like, some nights. You can't, you can't no have that many of them. <laughs> you cannot have that many. <laughs> you cannot. Um. And I mean, some of that's just guys are going to get better, and some of these guys aren't aren't going to be in the bullpen anymore. It's just that's what's going. The, the bullpen is going to get significantly retooled, and I think if the if this offseason is going to be anything, we're going to see relief towards it. And I, mean, I don't think AJ Minter is going anywhere. This guy, you know, I think he's going to get his arbitration case becomes pretty interesting. But I, I, you know, he'll he'll still be around. I really like Chad Sabaka to continue to get a chance. He, he's another guy that kind of walks too many guys. Uh, he, he's been doing that in the minors, but he toned that down some, and he looked really good in the majors. Um, a couple other guys that, depending on how you know, you know the, the Shane Carls, Dan Winklers, and those guys, you know, speaking some of, of those guys were gassed at the end of the year, <laughs> so it's kind of hard to evaluate. Some of it is just that they're not, maybe they're not good enough. But there's a lot of really good relievers that are going to be on the on the market, and I'm not talking about just like the Craig Kimbrels and the you know the big name guys, um, just guys that I would like that. Should that like you know, I would like for the Braves to maybe take a shot on Adam Ottavino, but I have a feeling that guy's going to get paid a whole lot of money. Um, and, but- yeah, that's my my whole thing, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again here because it's probably a good time for it. I am not a proponent of giving the multi-year top value deal for a closer uh, or or late inning reliever, even if it works. There's just so much danger in that. Um, you know, Kimbrel, we know how good he is. Obviously, he was not great in the playoffs so far, but it's one of those things where he's been so good for so long. But I just wouldn't pay anybody, any closer, that kind of money that he's probably going to get. You know, four sixty or whatever the heck they're guys are going to get. Like, it rarely ever works. The big dollar closer contract is just a bad investment over and over again. It's not impossible. The most it could work. Volatile but, commodity on a roster. Yeah, you it's just like don't they, do. And that's, I mean, that's that's sort of the overarching thing with this whole thing is bullpens just year to year guys who you think are safe aren't safe. And then you also get small sample size theater where guys can look really good. Like for instance, Shane Carl has there's no there's no number other than ERA that makes Shane Carl look good this year. But Shane Carl has a two point six two point eight six ERA, so like his production was solid, but he had a really low bat pip. Um, his his uh, peripherals were not great at all. Doesn't strike anybody out. Walks too many guys. Like I think Shane Carl is someone who looks like he's going to have a pretty steep regression at some point in time. Uh, on the other end. You have guys like Minter who the peripherals look better than their ERA. Um, so it's like small sample size is always an interesting thing, but with bullpens, every year is a, is a small sample size. So the variance is just so high. I understand you want an elite guy in the bullpen. 
because um, it just makes everybody feel better. Like, obviously, you want to be able to hand the ball to an elite closer. I know it just makes your life easier. And when the Braves had Kimbrel in his absolute prime, it was a lot of fun. Like, all right, here comes Kimbrel, game's over. Um, but you, you don't want to be paying that guy $20 million a year at the end of his prime or past his prime, which is what free agency is. So it's just a rough time to try to do that. And I'm with you. The Braves are going to sign or trade for somebody in the bullpen that's better than the guys they have now. But I don't think that I would be in the mix for the guys who were going to get paid a ton. And, oh, by the way, they also have Darren O'Day coming, and they're going to be paying him yes. a lot of money. So he's going to be in the bullpen unless he's unless he's injured. So that's just – go ahead and follow that one away. $9 million, you'll have Darren O'Day in the bullpen. And his injury was a hamstring too, so – Yeah, it's not an arm. Huh? It's, I was going to say it's not an arm, which is yeah. – yeah. Well, yeah, that's my thing. Is like Since it's a hamstring and he's been good for a while, so you would think that he would provide – I mean, maybe he's not the same guy he was when he first got injured. Uh, and there's certainly going to be some rust when you're out that long. But, I, you know, he's a guy that I like a lot. Um, and you, I'm, I'm with you. I don't want to put those like those 17 to $20 million a year deals for relievers. I'm not really interested Oof. in, but I think that there's some guys that you can get some value on. Yes, I agree. Versus what you have. I mean, I mean, Luke Jackson and, you know, Luke Jackson's the Sam Freeman's, those guys who got significant innings, Peter Moylan, those guys didn't make anything and they didn't do anything. Um, they can't. I mean, and by the way, th- those are the three names that everybody talks about, but there is no argument, at least for Freeman. I mean, I know Freeman was a little bit better late in the year, but Moreland cannot be back. Like, there's just no reason so. whatsoever for that to happen. And Freeman for the season walked almost six guys per nine. You cannot do that. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. There's a handful of these guys that we know will be there, barring weirdness with injuries or something like that. Mentor, Winkler, Aroidus. I think Johnny will be back um, just because he was so good and he's such a great story. He's making no money still. Johnny Rutgers is, is arbitrable, which is I, insane. When I saw that, I lost my mind. I'm like, how is it possible <laughs> that he's still arbitration eligible? When you're hurt forever, um, yeah. that's what happens. And I, what, I'm, trying to, I'm, looking, I'm looking this up now. Johnny is 30. He'll be 34 in March, and he's under arbitration. That is insane. I saw that somewhere he was listed that he was going to be a free agent after the year, though, which made things weird for me. Like I mean, I maybe know. maybe I had that wrong, but everything well, he's I've definitely seen, are, he's definitely are eligible. Yeah, but he was also listed as a free agent, so I'm not sure exactly how that works. That is a little um, bit weird. So he, he's I, a I, weird I, I won't case. Claim to know. Yeah. Um, I, and that one of those. I mean, the, the arbitration list I think is true, but I also I'm, the, the free agent list may have just been incorrect, which is probably the easiest explanation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it he'll, was. He'll be there. Was, I think, <laughs> but I mean, I have no issues with like bringing him back on a deal or anything like that. He wouldn't be expensive. He likes being in Atlanta, and he pitched well. Like he he's was very he good, was good at getting left at getting lefties out. I mean, at the end of the day, you need specialists, and he is that. Like he's, I don't want him facing righties at this point in his career, but he is dominant against lefties. There's no, there's no way around it. And like, a I, and I could see, I could see Biddle getting another shot. I, I sure. think he was putting some really poor. I think he got used a whole bunch. All of a sudden, it was like a new toy, and he was like pitching every day. Yeah, uh, and then he got put in some bad like platoon situations and matchups he shouldn't have been in. Uh, he's a guy that you have to kind of use correctly, but I do like him. So, yeah, he's he's fine. And there's a lot of these guys who are not you know not terribly sexy um, between Brock and Biddle and um, even I guess Shane Carl because they like him. Um, even Winkler, you know, I think the first half of last year was a bit of a mirage for Winkler. But these guys are going to be around, I think, and at least be given the chance to make the team. I did want to ask you one question that we got in the mailbag this week, and it comes from the Jack Meister on Twitter. He asks, um, with so many young pitchers that are, that are around that are young starters in Atlanta, how many relievers do the Braves need to sign in the offseason? And I would extend that to asking you, do you think it's possible that they open the season with any of the young starters that we think about that are you know like ready for major league action in the bullpen instead of the rotation? Because at, at a certain point, it's a numbers game and it's kind of an argument between do you want these guys starting in Gwinnett or do you want some of them or you know one or two of them maybe starting the season in the bullpen and kind of just being in the bullpen for a while. So I'm asking like who's best set up for that if they decide to do that and would you is there a guy or two that you might actually think about just opening the year in Atlanta's bullpen? I think that the guy that I would be the – I think is the most likely to open the bullpen and that I would feel comfortable with is Max Freed. His stuff kind of plays up that way, and it's a good way to manage, like, his blister issues is that, you know, you just don't have him throw as many innings because he's a guy with, like, a big curveball and, you know, where his blisters are, that's kind of right where that – that 
right when you're throwing a curveball like he does, that's kind of where all the abrasion happens. And, you know, if, you, if you're if you not doing that as often for as many pitches, that's a way to manage that. And he could be kind of like a Lance McCullers type, too. He could make him throw, you know, three or four innings. Uh, he's a really good arm. He performed well out of the bullpen, too. They were running him out there in the postseason, and he was doing just fine. Um, he That seems like the most likely scenario. The, the trouble I have answering this question is that I feel very strongly that there's going to be – one to two big trades that is going to result in some of these conversations being silly because these guys aren't going to be in the organization anymore. I and tend to hard, agree. <laughs> and it's hard for me to, you know, speculate on like it's kind of like I have I have to pick between like these thirteen starting pitching prospects. You know, who's going to be in the rotation? Who's going to be in the bullpen? When the truth of the matter is, is that we're not going to have that many names to talk. I mean, there, there's still going to be a, a good chunk of them. But it's not going to be anywhere close to that. I, I just don't think that's true because the, the one thing the Braves have is a ton of very close starting pitching you know, prospects to deal from, and I think they're going to deal from. Uh, who for what? I mean, that, there's already a million rumors going around right now. Sure. You know, the Madison Bumgarner stuff. The, you know, the, everyone's like, you know, looking at every other team's best toys and wanting to know if we can get them for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that, that, that gets a lot trickier, but, you know, in terms of one guy that I think would be in the bullpen, it'd be Max Freed. Um, I, I see Tukey kind of. I see Tukey as like a, a rotation guy until he proves that he cannot be a rotation guy. Mm-hmm. Um, his stuff is too good, and he he was he was good in the rotation. So again, that's kind that's kind of where my head is with it right now. I, I see Wright and I see Kyle Wright maybe competing for a rotation spot, and maybe a guy like Bryce Wilson probably starting the year in Triple A, giving him some more time, um, and kind of going from there. Yeah, I mean, in follow up to that, we get we, we got we got one question this week about Freed and uh, his his potential as like a Josh Hader like multi inning reliever, and I kind of see that as a possibility too. That's kind of what you're the path you're almost saying that he that he could go he, that he could actually go down. I think he I think he could be absolutely dynamic in that role. Yeah, I do. Th- I'm I think Freed could start still, and that would not blow me away at all. I still like Max no, Freed, but the blister stuff is is real, and that might be you know he might be best. I mean, that's something that the, that the Braves are going to know that we just don't. He might be best in that like weird fireman role that the Braves haven't had in a long time, but he might be the guy that makes sense there, honestly. Oh well, yeah, I mean, and just the way bullpen management and you know the way you manage rotation, like have him in there for spot start sometimes. Um, and you know, I don't, I, I still like Max a lot. It would not shock me at all if like he came into spring training and. You know, he's had a spring training already. It wasn't this past one; it was the one before, where he opened everyone's eyes and like they were talking about like maybe he could make the rotation that year. Yep. He's he has that good of stuff, and if he makes the rotation, that's not going to be like a crazy shock to me. It's just more kind of what I how he's been used and kind of what the situation has been over the last few years. What what seems like the most likely scenario, and I feel like he's kind of gotten a little more used to that bullpen role, which I think that difference between being a bullpen guy and being the starter. We kind of talk about it in the abstract, like, well, you know, they just have to get used to it over a couple of games. It takes a lot. Uh, I've talked to it's some. It's just very different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, the preparation's completely different. You know how you warm up and all that other stuff is completely different. You know, I've talked to some relievers who like had kind of like forced into starts because there was like a promotion that happened and they had to kind of just be thrown in there and start. You know, and, and throw what well like two or three innings. And really, that's not entirely different from what they usually do. But the the way they prepare for games and stuff, it. Pitcher routines are a very real thing. So, like, kind of getting used to what role you're in matters. Um, but the way bullpen management goes now, I mean, you know, there's guys, those bullpen games are becoming more and more prevalent. There's the, you know, with, you know, there's openers happening now. There's, you know, you're, you're putting together, like, you kind of piece together good outings here and there to kind of manage innings and things like that. All these things are happening. And if you have guys who are versatile and that can, and are live arms as soon as you put them on the mound, then that's, that's a valuable thing to have. And, I would be very happy to have Max in that role. Role, but if he's also if he turns into the guy that's you know throwing six innings uh, every day and he's just your stereotypical starter, I'm fine with that too because I I still like his stuff a lot. But there's there's some things you have to manage with him. Um, I don't, the groin injury wasn't his fault because it was kind of on a comebacker. But the blisters things have come up a few times now, and when you have a guy that's had an arm injury combined with you know you know persistent blister issues there maybe there's a way to get a lot of value out of him without causing problems that where you end up being without him for a while yeah that, that makes total sense and obviously that makes uh the whole situation is very fluid because of the trade situations and the free agency situations and we'll, we'll see what happens there i do i do want to ask you this is one i did not prepare you for so i'm pulling this on you it's my personal mailbag question to eric um you have three options who opens the season as the primary ninth inning closer reliever, which I think the Braves are going to have um, as long as Snickers managing. There's going to be somebody who's the de facto closer. 
the question is, is it AJ Minter? Is it Aurora Espasiano? Or is it someone that's not in the organization already? I think it's going to be Minter. Um, because I think that you're one thing that I think is true of Alex Anthopoulos is he understands that free agency is not the place to buy is the place he wants to get a closer. Um, and I think that you can certainly buy a closer this year, or you can just get a really good reliever that you can use in the seventh or eighth or whatever you want to choose to use them. Um, and you can get them for a, a more reasonable rate. Um, and I think that the trade chips are going to be used specifically for, you know, more position players or, or a starting pitcher. But I don't think that necessarily is going to happen for a big reliever. Um, I, again, I like Ottavino, um, but I also understand how expensive he's going to be. So it's kind of, it's kind of what I wish I could get him and I wish I could get him for like 10 million a year. (laughs) And that's just not a reasonable expectation. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's an absolute monster. So it would be a lot of fun to just hand the ball to Adam Ottavino. Um, if you've seen any of any of those pitching ninja videos of Adovino, like his stuff is preposterous. (laughs) But uh, obviously he, he would be great. And if we could get him for that, sure. But it's, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with the with the with the money that the Braves have. I'm more of a fan of kind of spreading that out a little bit uh, and locking that up into like one reliever is kind of th- that 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 is a little much for me. So yeah, I'm, if there is if there's one position that I'm going to take um, firmly on this podcast today, it is that I am anti paying eight figures for a for a relief pitcher. Um, I'm not going to do that. Um, is is there a world in which the Braves get a get a good deal out of that it's possible like if if you could guarantee me that you're gonna get a guy like you know like Ottavino and he keeps being Ottavino then yeah there's value in that but there's just too much risk for me I would spend my money elsewhere uh, I think Anthopoulos will as well I'm kind of with you on that maybe if he spends in free agency it'll be on someone who's more on that second tier and making a little bit less money and like is in that kind of late inning committee with Vizcaino and Mentor um, but yeah I think my answer would be Mentor as well it would not surprise me if it was Vizcaino, considering the way that the Braves started leaning on him late in the year. I was a little bit surprised by that at the moment because he had missed so much time. But I still think Minter is like a potentially elite late inning option, and I think I would lean in that direction, even with I'm probably not super convicted by that. But I think if I had to pick one of those three options, it would be Minter in the ninth. Yeah, and Minter dealt with like a like a like a back injury that kind of like messed with his mechanics a bit, and he was clearly not the same guy. Kind of coming back from missing a little bit of time and having to take some you know, miss, miss some appearances here and there. And, you know, he is a guy that, I mean, he has an injury history, so you have to kind of be aware of that. But, you know, this, this stuff is too good. I feel like that this offseason he kind of will get his mechanics back where he wants them to be, and then he'll he'll be the best option in the ninth, in the ninth or as a closer or as your best reliever, whatever you choose to call him and how you choose to, to use him. I, I personally just feel like you should use your best reliever in the most high-leverage situations. I don't really care when that is, but... You and I agree me. on that, by the way. Just I, 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 I preface that all by saying... I think we believe that the Braves will use a more traditional model for next year with the manager who he is, and I could be wrong. Maybe they, maybe they change that, and maybe Snicker is much more progressive and starts using guys that are his best relievers in the seventh inning if, it, if the if the situation warrants it. But I think until we see that, I'm going to assume the Braves are going to use a more traditional model on going with the you know the one inning ninth inning closer. And if they do that, it's usually their best pitcher, and I'm going to say that's probably Minter. And matchups do matter, and something like do. I don't feel like Minter or Vizcaino you know, is partic- is so good that they can get either handed batters out. And like if you if you have a, like three lefties that are like really good, I mean I don't know why you wouldn't use Minter. And the same thing with right with righties, you feel like you need to get a guy that like has three righties that really need to get outs. I can see a world where you use Viz too. So it's just kind of just use your pitchers correctly. Use your pitchers to you know, and it's not just platoon splits. It's easy enough for us to for you and I to talk about you know, lefties versus righties and things like that. But I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it in terms of like, you know, like what those righties are particularly good and not good at and what your relievers are particularly good and not good at just because your guys are righty and the batters are righty doesn't necessarily mean that your righty can do what needs to be done to get this guy out. Um, I mean, there's some lefties that, you know, Cody Bellinger simply cannot hit and you're seeing what's happening to him in the postseason. He cannot, you know, the breaking balls that he sees, you know, they have, they have to, they have to have some zip on them and they have to dive out of the zone, but he will swing at them every time and he will miss them. But if you do not have a slider that can dive out of the zone like that uh, and you hang one, he's going to hit the ball 500 feet. So it's a uh, uh, very much specific, which is, it's good. I mean, and I agree. I don't think if the unless the Braves make this acquisition acquisition for some other guy we don't know, um, I am all aboard 
playing the matchups with Vizcaino and Minter. Um, sure. Those guys are your two best returning relievers when they're healthy. Um, and just kind of doing that, I'm fully on board with that. So if they choose to do that, I'm okay with that as well, to be sure. Um, before I let you go, there's one question that I definitely wanted to get um, your opinion on because you are the prospect guru. Um, it came from Patrick Mollett this week, and he says, the preface of the question is that he, you have to trade two of the following four pitchers. You have to trade these guys. Have to, have to, have to. Tuki Toussaint, Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, and your godson, Mike Soroka. Which two do you trade, number one? And number two, what kind of packages could you see the Braves using if they had to go, like, what would they be targeting, potentially a name or two? I know that's harder to do, but if you had to pick two, I know this is very, it's, it's basically impossible because it all, all, all depends on who values what. But knowing what we know now in a vacuum, if you had to choose two guys to trade and sort of sell on now versus holding two guys, how would you uh, divvy that up? Even though I know this is going to hurt you personally. Yeah, Patrick actually tweets at me quite a bit, and I like Patrick a lot because he's, he's uh, yeah, he he he's always asking good questions, and you know, always I think he might be the uh, the all time leader in podcast mailbag questions. He's up there. I mean, just in just asking us questions on Twitter too. I mean, I think he he, he tweets at me at least once a week, and I love him for it. So thank you, Patrick. But um. Uh, my answer is that I would trade Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson um, if for no other reason that I mean Tuki and Soroka have d- demonstrated that they have been good at the major league level. Um, I'm going to address Soroka briefly. Um, <laughs> Here we go. Because I, 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 I get I get questions about Soroka probably like three this, times. This is your brand, Eric. Well, and, and I'm fine with that, and I respect it. Uh, and I've certainly brought it on myself to get these questions as much as I do. Um, <laughs> Mike Soroka. Obviously, was had a shoulder injury this year, and shoulders are notoriously bad for pitchers. Um, and it's something that should give everyone pause because an elbow, you can you can get Tommy John surgery, and a lot of times you can come back and be as good as you were. Shoulders, if the injury is serious and you have to have surgery on it, the success rate is much much lower. But Soroka did not have it, uh, surgery on on that on that shoulder, and I think the Braves did a good job with him in terms of once he said, "Hey, this doesn't feel right." Instead of making him go out there and you know quote unquote sort it out or tough it out or anything like that, they just put him on the disabled list and they just they they managed him cautiously, which is happening more and more in this day and age of baseball because it'll be you know the road to the Hall of Fame is paved with the shoulders of, of pitchers who you know had promise but they just kept run, they kept running him out there until their arms fell off, um, and but he did pitch down at instructs. Uh, everything that I heard is that he looked good. Uh, and that he is healthy. Uh, he did an interview with the Athletic, I think. That you know, he was like, "Hey, I'm I'm good to go." You know, shoulders feeling a lot better. Velocity's back to where it was supposed to be. Uh, I've heard some, from some other people that you know, feels feels really good. No no real concerns. He's gonna have a normal off season. It's not gonna be a rehab type thing or anything like that. So, taking all that information in, I would rather keep Tuki and Soroka again, guys who have made it to the major leagues, who I like for the rotation. For next year, again, assuming any weird trade stuff happens like that. But if I'm doing the trading, I'm going to choose. I'm going to pick Kyle Wright, who I whose stuff I like a lot. Um, but I had some issues with him in terms of just like his stuff seemed to not be quite as crisp later in games. Like like we're talking like fourth or fifth inning. Uh, and Ian Anderson, who's still a little ways away, both guys I like a lot. I feel like I'm picking you know amongst my children to give away. So don't don't. Don't ever take this as though I don't like them, but in terms of like if I'm having to pick and I'm having to nitpick guys who are further away or guys who have seen some like issues that haven't been quite worked out yet, at least to my satisfaction, um, I'm going to pick those two guys to trade away. And they're, they're going to be for a – they're not going to – that's not going to be for a rental. Uh, it's no. going to have to be a controllable guy, and I would imagine it would have to be uh, a position player or a, or a major league starting pitcher, and it would have to be a pretty good one to give up those guys because those are two top 50 prospects. Um, and that's that's getting into expensive trade prices, uh, and I'm all and I'm all for it. For if sure. That, yeah. if, if you're if you can if you're getting a good return, that's okay if you're trading those guys away. But you can't just do it for a rental or or a guy who is iffy, uh, just because he has some control. Yeah, I think I think trade value is uh, always hard to figure, but I would agree. You're, if you trade multiple of these top hunter guys that the Braves have, you got to be getting a cost controlled, you know. Those are the guys piece. that are in a JT Real Muto trade. It's right, that's what we were saying for a while now is that you know the Braves have to be willing to trade some of these guys at some point, but if you're going to do it, 
you have to do it in the right spot where you're getting value. And that would be a situation where they would be getting value, at least theoretically. But, you know, you heard it here first, everybody. Eric Cole says that he would like to trade Cal Wright and Ian Anderson. <laughs> As I return the favor for all the times that uh, Eric has told me that I, I wanted to trade Ozzy Albies, um, here we are. Well, I think it's more Eric likely Cole that you're going to get. Right, I yeah. think it's more likely you're going to get tweets about why you want to trade Ozzy Albies than the tweets that I'm going to get about Kyle Wright and Ian Anderson. If I'm That's just being because honest, you uh, you you stoked the fire, my friend, and I don't want really to do that to you. I'm nicer than you are. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that that is 100 no, uh, true. <laughs> but no, it's it's tough. I mean, I obviously you cover these guys a lot more than I do at the minor league level, but I I, I understand why fans get attached to prospects. Number one, because they're being covered very well by us. Um, number two, in that every single one of these guys that we're talking about on the high end has star upside. So yeah. I get the theory of that. I do think, as you mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, the Braves are going to do something this winter. I am pretty sure of that. It's going to involve one, two, three of these top tier prospects because it almost has to. Like they can't, it would be kind of weird yeah. if the Braves never made a move like that and they haven't done it yet. I mean, they they made trades, but they've never done the cash-in move and it's at some point they're going to have to do it. Now that they've won the division and made the playoffs, it's time to kind of go ahead and do that kind of move now, and it's probably going to happen. Well, I think it's more it, one. It's a numbers game, not just the major league level. Like you, it's not just bullpen spots. Even Gwinnett, yeah, it's it's Gwinnett. Like I don't even know how they if they don't make moves, I don't know what they do with their rotation in Gwinnett. Like they're going to have to put some guys in Double A who might have major league experience. Eight eight man rotation in Gwinnett. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean. By the way, you should be going to Gwinnett Swiper Stripers games next year because even if there is a trade, there's going to be some really good pitchers, <laughs> pitchers at Gwinnett, regardless well, I mean, of what happens. It might um, be. Um, there is a chance that Gwinnett's rotation next year is better than the Marlins' rotation. Oh, I'll have, I'm, hold on. That's going once we know what the Gwinnett rotation are. I'm gonna there. Okay, you guys can you guys can bother me about this when it happens. I am writing an article about this as to whether I would prefer Gwinnett's rotation or the Marlins' rotation. The Marlins. I mean, pick pick. It doesn't have to be the Marlins, but like you know, the Orioles. There there will be a team in Major League Baseball that has a worse rotation than Gwinnett. Oh, uh, Cincinnati sure. Reds are a strong bet here. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. at least on paper, I understand there's, there's some projection involved there because there'll be there'll be somebody in Gwinnett that we know is an awesome prospect that hasn't been in the majors yet. But if like Tukey and Soroka start the season in Gwinnett, and we've seen them both be good in the major leagues, I think like, there's zero chance that both those guys are in Gwinnett. <laughs> I agree with you, but I'm just saying it's at least theoretical. Uh, one, it, it's it's possible. I would say it's unlikely, but you know what I mean. Like there's there there are guys. You know, Max Fried could be in Gwinnett. Like there there yeah. are guys with major league experience who have been good in the majors that. Will be in Gwinnett. Which, I mean, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be wild, and I and I've I've written about this before. It's actually causing a certain amount of I don't want to say discontent, but like kind of worry amongst prospects because they're worried that they just won't be able to get moved up and get their shots and be able to display you know be able to prove themselves at their next level, whatever that level is, simply because there's too many guys in their way and it has nothing to do with their performance. They don't want to. The, the Braves kind of want to keep everybody, and they don't necessarily want to, you know, make the hard decisions yet. Um, so it's the, time. They just want something to happen. They want they want to be able to get their shot. They have too many good arms, which is a great problem for an organization to have. But in terms of for the minor leaguers, it's it's becoming kind of a problem. So I, I see, I see that happening. Um, I, I mean, there this has to be a move. I, I I see at least one free agency, like one really interesting free agent signing, uh, possibly more. Uh, and a trade or two, and then you know th- that really kind of shapes this roster up in a hurry. Yeah, I mean it's very fluid, and I, I mean we're not going to be able to project. I do think whatever move happens, relatively speaking, it is unlikely to be one that that's been rumored for a long time. Like, I, 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 there's obviously a chance the Braves go out and get Harper, or they go out and get Real Muto, but I think there's a, a larger chance that they do something that we just haven't seen or haven't thought haven't thought of yet, because that's just the nature of the beast when we're talking about trades. Uh, free agency is a little bit easier, and that. You know, you know who's available at least. Where in, in trades, you don't always know who's available. Like some of the some of the, some of the more intriguing trades that happen involve guys who are not I'm, like known to be available. So that's the kind of stuff that makes it hard for us when people people ask us, you know, for specific guys that the Braves could trade for. And it's like, yeah, there's two or three that everybody has on top of their mind because they're known to be available, like Real Muto. You know, it, makes, it just makes too much sense that the Marlins would look to market him because they don't have a prayer a prayer in the world of winning. And he's a catcher and all that stuff. It's time to trade him if you're the Marlins. But there are guys on these mid-tier teams who probably are available that we just don't know. So, like, 
that's the kind of move I think the Braves might make this year. I wish they had traded for Christian Yelich a year ago because um, we just saw what he's capable of. But that kind of stuff where it'll be a move well, that, we, that we're surprised by, I would say. Well, now, let's be clear. If they had gotten Christian Yelich, that would mean that Ronald Acuna was not on this baseball team. Uh, I, I don't agree, but that's you another don't, you situation don't, you for you think that was just posturing that they would have accepted another deal from us? Um, I I do. Um, I think there is a the, considering what they what they took. Yes. I think they there was clearly a deal the Braves could have made that beat it um, without Acuna in it. Now whether the Braves would have done that or not is a big question. Obviously, like for instance. Um, I think there was some division markup is what was there, there. I'm sure there was, and that's that's fine. I mean, that's a question we've gotten before on the podcast. Like, how much should how much should Braves worry about trading prospects in the division? I don't care about that, but I get that the Braves probably do. Um, if nothing else, for perception-wise, you don't want a guy beating you up that you traded away. I get all that. But if you just look at that deal, even in the moment, you know, there was there were a lot of ways the Braves could have beat that could have beat that offer, even with, even without Acuna. And even without Albies, I mean, I, I think I would have absolutely, I would have absolutely included Albies in a Yelich trade, and I said that at the time, and I would have been right because Yelich was like the MVP of the league. Um, but even if you take those two guys off the table and Acuna and Albies, the Braves have enough depth, even a year ago, where they absolutely could beat that offer. Like you will not convince me otherwise. Now, whether they would have done it or not, again, is a big question. Or where the Marlins were charging the markup that we we're just talking about, but. Look at that trade again. Like I know they got oh, no, a decent I, value, I, I think but the Marlins man. did not. The Marlins did not get enough back for Yelich. Oh, but I just don't think that they're willing. To, I don't think they're willing to charge us a, that a, comp, a comparable price. I agree. I mean, and that, and that, at, at some point, if you're the Braves, you have to probably know you're paying a thirty percent markup, and that could be annoying. So I, I totally get it. I, I don't want to go. De- I don't want to get derailed about Yelich in particular, but. And by the way, you know, it's, it's never linear. This is something that I, I, we, I think we said before on the podcast, but you could look as an objective outsider at, at two packages and you can decide that one is very much better than the other. And if that GM doesn't agree with you, it doesn't matter. Like if, <laughs> if, the, GM, if the GM of the Marlins at the time thought, man, I really want this one guy and that one guy's on the Brewers, you're not getting the guy. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's very yep. subjective. It just it just is like even if, and we've seen it before. Like you know the, the famous Dave Stewart trade, everyone in baseball was like, "What in the world are the Diamondbacks doing?" Even in the moment, but f- he definitely saw something that he wanted to do, and that's even if he was the only guy, the only GM in the entire major leagues that would have done that trade is Dave Stewart. He was the guy involved in the trade, so that's that's the kind of unpredictable nature of this kind of stuff, and why it's so hard to project is because you're dealing with one individual or at least one franchise, and if they don't like the guys that you like, and if they like guys that you don't like, it just gets to be hard. Which is what makes this offseason in particular fascinating for me, because not only it seems like there's a good number of, there's going to be some, again, you're, you're right, those like mid-level teams, like the the Rockies have Arenado, that's going to be just on one year left on his deal, but they're kind of compete. I mean, they, they made it to the playoffs this year, but maybe they need more pieces than just Arenado, and if they trade him now, they might be able to get some major league talent, like more major league talent that makes them better overall which is crazy because Arenado is just how good he is, which would throw a wrench into everything. And there's also the Mets who just is going to have, who are going to have a new GM who is like the agent of half their good players. And, you know, if all of a sudden there's a fire sale that goes on or trades going on involving like DeGrom or Syndergaard or, you know, a lot of those other guys, you know, sending them out and putting, and putting them in other situations, like this could turn into chaos at the winter meetings because there could be, I don't think this offseason does not feel like it's going to be the stale one that was this past offseason because I feel like a lot of teams are we're saving their money for this offseason. And I think that all the teams kind of understand where they are as a team better right now. And I think there's more teams that could feasibly be competitive, which means there's going to be more like bidding on random guys, which could turn this very interesting very quickly. Yeah, and by the way, the winter, the winter meetings are December 9th through 13th in Las Vegas. So if you also throw in some uh, after-hours activities for the GMs, uh, could have some deals at like 5 in the morning. I'm, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for the tweet. Alex Anthopoulos is at the craps table with, I don't know. <laughs> Anyone. Insert GM here. <laughs> with Derek Jeter. That'd do it. Um, with Dave Stewart again would be fun. No, he's not He's not employed anymore. Sorry. Uh, you know, just but some, something like that. I'm, with Derek going, Jeter. Yeah. <laughs> 
Derek Jeter has uh, all, all respect to Alex Anthopoulos, who has a lot of money uh, as a as a human being. Derek Jeter has a lot of money, <laughs> so they, they might not be playing uh, craps at the same table. I would say, but yeah, yeah, he might be at a slightly different tier. Yes. Regardless, that'll be a lot of fun, and uh, between now and then, we have about another you know six weeks or so before that actually happens. But stuff, stuff, stuff could happen before then. It's not impossible. But the, it happens sometimes. Yeah. Free agency ends what a week after, so a little less than a week after the World Series ends. It starts. Yeah, it's, it should be, we should be getting up uh, in the next week and a half or so. I mean, the World Series could be ending as we speak. Um, we're recording this Sunday night, and Game Five is in play. Um, if the if the Red Sox win, then their offseason begins on Monday. Um, if that doesn't happen, then obviously there's a little bit more of a delay. But yeah, we could be in real free agency mode like next week when we're recording the podcast. It's it's possible. So, yep. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Uh, anyway, Eric, we've now done an hour, which is impossible given our nothing <laughs> to talk about in um, late October. But that's because you and I talk about baseball a lot. It's fun. I like talking about baseball with you, Brad. It makes me happy. We uh yeah we enjoy it. I think hopefully people enjoy this conversation. I know it was kind of meandering, and uh, we'll come back um, later on, talk about the rotation, uh, sort of a, as a review, and then a look ahead. Same with the lineup over the next couple of weeks. But the bullpen was today. Um, we didn't. I, I know we didn't talk a ton about individual guys necessarily, but it's you know kind of a fluid situation in the bullpen as all as all bullpens are. <laughs> it's uh, by far the most volatile position. Um, guys projecting from year to year is tough, and uh, I think we probably did a good job of talking about that in particular. So, uh, Eric, please plug yourself. I know it's kind of slow for us right now, but you still have plenty going on, as always, so please tell people where they can find you and all your stuff. Sure. Uh, you can follow me at Leprechaun with a K on Twitter. Uh, I've been a little, little quieter on Twitter lately. Uh, one, because, uh, frankly, there's people on Twitter that I don't like a whole lot, but there's a lot of you that I do, and I'm trying to tweet more as a result of that. Uh, and I was just wanting a bit of a break, too, just kind of unplug a little bit from the season. But this week, uh, I am currently in the process of writing nine different player reviews. I'm, I've, I've got three of them in, and then the others are in the works. And those, So I imagine those will be out sometime this week, uh, which is kind of a continuing the series that we've been doing at Talking Chop. Uh, just the various player reviews, just kind of going through how each player did each, this year and what, they, what we think they could be next year. Um, after that, we're going to be doing some free agency stuff. Uh, I'm sure that we've, we're still covering the Arizona Fall League. That's happening. Um, and we're doing weekly uh, recaps of that. One of my recap of that went up today. Um, Christian Pache is still very good at baseball. The relievers are doing well. Jeremy Walker is not. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're wanting just a quick, the, the very quick Cliff Notes version of it. Go read uh, that. Oh, that was what I would say. Go read that. <laughs> um, and beyond that, I mean, the storylines that we're going to be covering at Talking Chop is just going to be kind of figuring out exactly, if, as the rumors are starting to come out, what we think the, the Braves are sort of viewing this offseason as and how they're going to go about it. If we start seeing them connected to a lot of the big names, you know, the Scott Boris clients of the world and things like that, you know, we it's going to be a much more – seems like it will be more active and like big flashy moves – but we don't necessarily know that's what the Braves are going to do or if they're going to try to go with more, not the Machados and Bryce Harper's of the world, but maybe they look at Patrick Corbin. So we're just kind of playing that by ear right now. Uh, obviously, once we get into late December, it's going to be prospect list time again uh, where all the prospect guys sit down, yell at each other for a while, and then we come up with a list. Um, this one will be particularly interesting since the usual suspects that we can put at the top of the list are no longer available to us as options. Um, <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah, and, and more and more are going to be taken off our list and it's going to be it's a lot more turnover in this next year or so. So that's going to be a lot of fun for us. Uh, you can also find me on the site manager at MLB daily dish. Uh, we're a lot of original content and breaking news type stuff that this part of the year is a little bit slow for us over there because there's just not a lot of news other than managerial hires and things like that. Uh, GM hires and firings and things like that. But once the winter meetings get going and free agency gets up and going, that's going to be a very busy part of my day as well. So make sure if you want this league-wide coverage, make sure you check out MLB Daily Dish. Uh, and make sure you follow Brad at BT Roland uh, on Twitter. And just tweet all your trade proposals at him. He loves Hawks <laughs> questions, um, loves questions about why he's uh, wanting to trade Ozzy Albies and why he thinks that Johan Camargo should be on the bench. So make sure you send him those questions. I would greatly appreciate it. I didn't say that. Not what I said. <laughs> super super utility role. Not on the bench. No. Um no, it's, uh, we'll have plenty of Camargo talk in the future, I'm sure. But uh, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. As always, you spent some time with us. We'll do it again very, very shortly. Uh, please follow Eric. Follow the minor league guys. We're doing great stuff on TalkingChop.com. All the player reviews are kind of funny. I, I know people have been making fun of us for, like, for instance, today, like, Danny Santana went up, and then people are like, really? An article on this? And I'm like, yes, we're doing every single player. It's not like we're just centering on Danny, Danny Santana, I promise. Or Chris Stewart was the first one we did. That, that got some chuckles. But we're being thorough. 
we're breaking down every single every we're just single doing, we're player. just doing everybody if so you, it's funny and it's funny in a vacuum i know to see danny santana and have a whole post about danny santana but there's also one about freddie freeman so uh come back yep. for all of them and the ronald acuna post has been submitted so you guys can written by it. you i believe right yep that's me because of course it was I, I, I think it. you might have rigged the system I, I, once, there, Eric. Once we had the sign-up sheet come out, I was like, "Mine." I was going to say, I, I, I think you might have rigged the system there, which is fine. I, I appreciate your work. No, on that, look but. at look at some of the look at some of the other ones that I wrote up before you start. I, there's a lot of Renee Rivera and Josh Raven in my life too. Shouts so. to Renee Rivera who had who was on the postseason roster and never appeared. That's always fun. <sighs> <sighs> that long sigh was for was on purpose. I promise you. Um, anyway. It didn't matter in the end, I promise. But all right, Eric, we're done rambling for now. Please follow Eric. Please follow the site. Listen to us. Read us. Subscribe to the podcast. Do all that stuff. We'll see you guys next week.